talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and this is day two of Ohio State's lead up to Ohio to its Cotton Bowl matchup with Missouri on Friday. That's New Year's Six Bowl. Not day two of them practicing, but just day two of coverage from us being down there live and direct. Nathan Baird coming to you from Dallas. Thanks for four, five, oh, three, three, one, five. If you want to get all the text he was firing off as he was talking with offensive coordinator Brian Hartline, Mekuka, Javion Henderson, Kate Stover. I don't know if I'm forgetting anybody, but the, at least two of those guys gave us some news of what they're going to be doing this Friday. Are Kate Stover and Travion Henderson playing on Friday, Nathan? They are playing on Friday. Both of them uh, confirmed that they are playing on Friday. Um, for Kate Stover, I don't. I mean, two different situations, obviously. So let's. I guess we'll start with Travion. Um, mm-hmm. He still says that. He is undecided on 2024 and that Friday's game might play into a little bit what, what he ends up doing. He'll, he'll have you know more data to analyze after that and, and maybe a different um, perspective from, from people after that. Um, but sounded like, you know, um, as much as there is a risk for him playing in this game, if he does decide to, to move on, he, you know, we had a long conversation with him today where he went pretty in-depth about a number of facets of how his faith and his commitment there has sort of changed his life going back to last spring. And he said that this is kind of part of that, that he's, you know, he's thought about it and contemplated and prayed or whatever, and that he's feeling like he is being told that he should play in this game. So, uh, and not worry about the injuries, not worry about whatever outcome, not worry about playing bad and putting yourself in a worse situation, I suppose. Not that that's something I think he thinks about, but uh, that's where he stands, that he is playing but is not committing to uh, what this means for him for 2024. And for Kate Stover, it was a situation where, and obviously Trevin Henderson went through an injury this year too, but Kate Stover has been playing through an injury down the stretch of the season. He's been wearing that huge brace on his knee, and I walked right up first and was like, hey, are you playing? He's like, yep. And uh, he had a really uh, good quote about it, something like, I signed up for a full year, so I'm playing a full year or something like that. And I thought that was refreshing that, you know, because a lot of guys wouldn't. And I don't hold that against them. And, and in his situation, and frankly, the, tribu- the the Tommy Eichenberg situation is still up in the air. And that's another situation where a guy was playing through an injury, playing with an injury, and now you have to be able to put yourself in the best possible situation for the NFL pre-draft process. You have to go do individual workouts with these teams. You have to be able to be able to do um, the the various workouts and the various uh, skill measurements that they do. The bench press is important in both of these positions at tight end and linebacker. And Tommy Eikenberg might very well be in a position where he has to say on Friday night that he can't play. I don't think anybody holds that against him, but it doesn't surprise you at all to hear Kate Stover say, I'm playing. Now, he did say, uh, I, I may not be in there on every play. That made me wonder if, uh, and there was something else he said. Um, maybe we'll get to that a little bit later um, about as we're looking ahead to things that we're hearing about 2024. But it did make me believe that they are massaging things a little bit to get some other guys involved at tight end to where maybe he isn't carrying the full load the way he does through the first 12 games or 11 of the first 12 games of the year when he played. So those are the two that we got confirmation from. and. I think that's good news for Devin Brown. 
really good news for Devin Brown. It's it's a um, your back your your running game now has a tremendous weapon, and that's going to actually be something that hasn't really been talked about. But watching him go head to head, watching Trevion Henderson go head to head with Cody Schrader, not head to head, they're not be playing against each other, but watching them in, in in the way that we often do when when these running backs get paired up to see who you know compare them to each other at this point. Uh, I think that's going to be fun. And uh, to have Kate Stover in there as the sort of escape valve reliable guy that both CJ Stroud and Kyle McCord found him to be these past two years is, is huge too, even if he isn't out there in a full capacity. So uh, we've been watching all week as the defense has sort of piled up this um, reserve of guys who say they're going to play and appear to be playing. And now the offense is kind of getting in on the act. So Andrew, that's two more weapons that Devin Brown is going to have at his disposal. Apparently, it seems like the only weapon he's not going to have that Tom McCord had the first 12 weeks of the year is Marvin Harrison Jr., which, again, Nathan, out there, dressed, but not really doing much this morning in the 20 minutes you guys got to watch. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, very much similar to yesterday. I didn't see him on the exercise bike the way he was yesterday. And, you know, Brian Hartline was joking today. He got asked a question about Marvin not playing. He's like, who told you he's not playing? Like, he was... He was over there on the bike between reps, staying loose, right? And we were all just kind of laughing. Like, I think that's maybe a, a, a formal. He doesn't want to be the one to make any formal announcement there, but no, it certainly doesn't look like Marvin Harrison Jr. will be uh, active on Friday night. Devin Brown will be missing some of the other personnel that Kyle McCord had at his disposal. That's what I meant to say. Um, <laughs> that's what I meant to say. Uh, Kyle McCord has already been to his bowl game, and it didn't go that great. Um, but there, there are some other people. There is some some backfield depth issues. And I think that's the biggest benefit for Devin Brown is because if it, if Trevin Henderson wasn't playing, then you're turning to Dallin Hayden. And I would assume Xavier Johnson is really your number two running back in that situation. And then you go to TC Caffey. If you have to, those are the only three guys who've been working out at running back is Trevin Henderson, Devin Brown or Dallin Hayden. I mean, and TC Caffey. So they're thin in the backfield and getting Henderson active for Friday night is, is big. If you're trying to win that game. So, Angie, if you had to predict what maybe the carry distribution would look like if I said that the running back room is going to have 35 carries on Friday, what do you think that distribution looks like when you add in the fact that maybe Xavier Johnson is maybe does some running back work as well, but really it's it's Travion Henderson, Dallin Hayden, T.C. Caffey, and then Xavier Johnson? Uh, well, I actually think that that might be doing a bit of a disservice to Devin Brown. Um, I think that that might be part of the offense that gets thrown well, that's into why I this. Just a running back distribution. The running not back the room. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, the the running back room. I actually don't think the carries for as much as we talk about Travion Henderson and Dallin Hayden maybe being the only two like scholarship guys left, or they were are going to be the only two scholarship guys left. I think it actually might not be as ridiculous of a snap share and a and a touch share as you might expect um if you would you say 35 i think if you get 35 carries i, I would probably say trayvon henderson gets anywhere from 17 to 20 and then dallin hayden you probably want to get him 10 to 15 you know you probably want to mix him in there a little bit too uh but i also think that Devin Brown is going to get some carries too, and that's going to help out the running back. So I don't think that this is going to be a game where where Trevion Henderson, you know, gets out there and carries the ball thirty times or anything like that. I, I think this is actually going to be a pretty even distribution. And and 
I mean, frankly, when you look at what they're going to get from Henderson coming back, I think that that's probably the biggest, uh, the biggest, uh, the biggest impact there. So anything else, Nathan, from the more, from getting the chance to see practice again, that people is maybe notable as they head into Friday. I think this is the last Friday the practice you guys get to see. Before it Friday. is. Yeah. And, uh, Less information than we got yesterday, I would say. Today, they were just in helmets um, and, and other clothes, but entire football equipment, just uh, just helmets. No shoulder pads, no leg pads. Yesterday, Tommy Eichenberg only had the shoulder pads, no leg pads. And today, um, everybody was dressed the same. So you couldn't really glean anything from that. Tommy Eichenberg, though, when we were watching two periods of drills, was not really involved. He was really the only guy other than uh, Marvin Harrison and Lathan Ransom, who's in attendance but isn't participating in anything, was the only guy who really wasn't in the mix. Now, he's got his helmet. He's around the team. He's in the – he's not – like, Lathan Ransom is completely out, obviously. He's just walking around in street clothes. Tommy Eichenberg is gearing up as much as anybody else is gearing up, more or less. But as I think as I texted to our, our, uh, our followers, I would have called him, like, limited at best today. It just doesn't seem like it's trending towards a place where he would play or certainly that he would not be playing in full. Is it a thing where they dress him in case they absolutely need him? In case, you know, if something happens to Cody Simon and they have to put him, I don't know. But I, as it's standing right now, I'm skeptical that he's trending towards a, a, a situation where he plays, but maybe they're just protecting him and to get the most they can out of him on, on Friday if he so chooses. Um, what else did we learn? I mean, everybody else is there practicing. Um, what else did we see? You know, it's been fun to watch uh, the the. We can maybe talk about this a little bit later, but the the, the true freshman receivers uh, kind of getting their moment, and uh, you people have seen, uh, I, I think, on social media probably some clips of, of people who've put up the like the one handed grabs that those guys were uh, kind of. Uh, I wouldn't say goofing off to the side, but like just kind of a, a drill that they were working. And um, all those guys were showing some, some nice, um, some ball skills. And uh, just a, it's, 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 it's one of the bigger, more intriguing parts of Friday night is which of those guys gets a feel, how many reps and, and how do they get used? Um, James Peoples, the recently signed running back was at practice today. Trevin Henderson had some nice things to say about him and, the kind of player he thinks he's going to be in the mentality he has. And he was just sort of hanging out, watching the running backs. Um, you can barely say plural, but running backs that are <laughs> that are practicing right now. I think Ohio State wishes they could uh, throw him out there because he would probably be RB3 right now. I'm kind of shocked he's not, actually. Because like last year they had like Jelani Thurman was in Jermaine Matthews and Will Smith were like practicing during pro practice. I'm kind of surprised he's not, given that he's from San Antonio. But. I guess. Well, I meant more that they could maybe use him Friday night. He wouldn't be eligible oh, yeah, yeah, to play yeah, Friday night, and fair. they could That's use true. some running back help uh, on the on the on the depth chart uh, on the roster for Friday night. But this was not a super um, informative day. I was glad we got to be there and see things. We don't get to see things that often. You get any time you get to watch, you know, Devin Brown and Lincoln Hinoltz throw some passes. You learn a little bit more about them and 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 kind of the the, the form that they have and how that might look Friday night, and um, just and and just confirming that the guys that we have questions about are at least up until Wednesday, so coming up on forty eight hours before the game are still in the mix practicing. Whether that's people that there hasn't been an absolute announcement about, like JT Tuomalowau 
Mike Hall. I can't remember if there's anybody else that it's still sort of lingering out there now that we know about Trevion Henderson. But, um, and, and obviously, what whatever we're learning about Eichenberg, like there's still a few out there that we haven't heard for sure. So maybe we'll learn more between now and Friday, or maybe we'll just go up to Friday and we'll see if those guys are down there warming up on the field or not. So get the text, 614-350-3315. That's where we'll be going first with that information. So one more thing before we take a break and then get into some of the offensive stuff, just because we have to talk about it every time something happens. Hopefully that this will be the last time we have to make this the center of attention. But as you were texting stuff out, you were talking about some of the special team stuff they were doing. And I just like talk me off the ledge because anytime I see a text or anything that has to do with special teams, I think a fan has to just think the worst possible case scenario, given how things have gone the last three years. Look, Gene Fielding did miss a field goal in practice. Um, they're kicking indoors. It's going to be good conditions. I don't mm. know what to tell you. He's a walk-on kicker. Like He's not going to be 1,000%. Um, I wouldn't get to – I even think I texted it. and Just because I was texting, it was one of the few newsworthy things we actually got to see because mm. somebody did something football-related. So I felt some felt compelled to text it. But also, I think I even said on there, sort of joking, like, okay, you can start your overreaction now. He made other field goals, too. It wasn't like they only tried one and he missed it. Like, it's he made other field goals, too, um, some, I think, longer than the one that he missed. So, you know, just take it with a, take it with a grain of salt right now. Um, you don't want Ohio State to have to be kicking a lot of field goals on Friday night anyway. Uh, this is And with everybody that's coming back, you know, I think the bigger question is still going to be, what's Devin Brown look like right now? Um, what, what, where is he as a passer and a decision maker? That's going to affect how many points his team scores a lot more than Jaden Fielding's right foot. Okay, cool. I just think that yeah, people see that you see special teams and you go, oh no, what now? What could possibly be going wrong now? But understand, yes, to, to your point, this is a walk on kicker and it's practice. Like he probably doesn't go a hundred percent in practice, just like nobody does. 100%. You pro- if you were in there the entire time, you probably would have seen Devin Brown throw some interceptions because it's practice and that happens. Let's take a quick break there. And then Brian Hartline did speak for 30 minutes today. And I thought he said some interesting things as well. We could talk about Jelani Thurman. And of course, we're going to talk about the wide receivers because of course we are. And a little bit more on Devin Brown when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Listen, man, I, I know I say it a lot, but you got to get the text, man. 614-350-3315. A lot of texts were getting fired off over the last two days as Nathan's been down there in Dallas watching, listening, just being involved in everything that Ohio State's trying, trying to, you know, as they're preparing to play Missouri on Friday night in the, in the Cotton Bowl, December 29th. And so listen, it's, it's been very valuable the last two weeks. Even if they haven't played, they have not played a football game in two weeks. And I promise you this deck service is still just as valuable coming off of signing day and now preparing for a football game. 614-350-3315. Nathan, Brian Hartline did talk on Wednesday afternoon as the offensive coordinator, at least in, in name only. I thought in listening back to it, he did get asked, I think it was uh, Bill Romanowitz from Dispatch asking about just in layman's terms, like, what's your job since you're not actually calling plays? What's the dynamic like in there? And I think we've all been a little bit interested in what that dynamic has actually looked like because you're the offensive coordinator, but you don't call plays. What's actually changed in Brian Hartline's job? And did he just reveal any, just talk about some of the stuff he was saying to that question of basically, hey, Brian Hartline, how has your job changed since you become the offensive coordinator? I, all he did was essentially confirm what I think we all have 
understood the, the relationship to be. I think he, he called Ryan Day something like the big man or the big chief or something like that. Like he's still the guy calling plays on Saturdays. Uh, that uh, Brian's involvement is not that dissimilar than Kevin Wilson's involvement was the past several years, where it's more about building the game plan. He's he's more involved in what goes on Sunday through Friday than he is actually calling plays on Saturday. Now, there are conversations that happen on that headset on Saturday that he's still heavily involved in, whether that is, um, you know, between series or sometimes even during series, he said, like, there's conversations going on about what needs to happen here, what's the approach here, what's the best strategy here. But ultimately, it's Ryan Day that is holding that sheet and calling those plays and maybe that'll change in the future brian hartline kind of keeps coming back to um that's up to him um but i i don't get the vibe there that they are rushing to get brian hartline in a place where he is the primary play caller i would my read on it especially based on the way brian hartline talked today would be that either ryan day is calling plays next year or there is a significant change to the staff that brings on someone else that Ryan Day puts that in the like an experienced already play caller more so than they would be like breaking in Brian Hartley. I mean, I might be wrong about that, but this is the vibe that you get around the team, and it's kind of the vibe that's been there, I think, more or less all season. But I, it, none of that is that surprising to me. That is when we first, when all this first started, uh, sort of after last season. People can go back and listen to those pods. Like I think I was the one who was maybe the most suspicious uh, suspect of this getting turned over to Brian Hartline, and I thought it was just going to have to be more of a process. I thought he had more to learn, um, and that seems to be playing out, though. And uh, he spoke with, um, I think, uh, some appreciation and, and sort of gratitude of how this first year went, how much he learned in this first year, and and spoke with enthusiasm of, you know, hey, I'm looking forward to year two because now he'll be more comfortable. Now he just knows the lay of the land and or, or knows the role a little bit better and can just sort of build on itself and and um, and and learn more as he goes. So uh, that's but the dynamic that they described, he described today is, is more or less, I think, what we all thought this had been operating under, that he is much like Kevin Wilson. Um, it is Ryan Day's, you know, responsibility to call the plays and he is there for input and feedback and guidance and, and all those things. Kevin Wilson, who was there today, I saw, obviously he's coaching down at Tulsa now. So he made the trip down to Dallas to come see his former team practice as they get ready for the cotton bowl on Friday. One more thing. And then I'll bring you in Andrew. Ameka Abuka is playing in this game and he's now essentially wide receiver one. And he did get into what he was fully dealing with, with that ankle injury. I think he had kind of uh, revealed a little bit during the season of when he started feeling like himself, but he actually gave him some details and how bad things got Nathan. That, what did he have to say about his ankle? And when he, this, this, the, the process of the injury to the return. Yes. Yeah, so I wasn't actually at his table. I want to make sure I give credit to Joey Coffin from the Columbus dispatch. You asked him about this and Ibuka said, well, I don't think, I think I can't remember exactly how he said it. He was like, well, I haven't really talked about this, but I had uh, surgery on my ankle in October. He's like, he had the, the tightrope surgery, which is a, I, I'm not going to get super technical about it medically because I can't, but it's, it's essentially a surgery to help strengthen the ankle when there's been a high ankle sprain situation. We knew that was essentially the injury he was dealing with, um, but didn't know that maybe he had had to have that sort of operation to correct it. and. 
Um, that usually I've, I've read is about a three to six week recovery time in the best case scenario. And so when you when you factor that into it, then Ibuka being able to come back and play it all this season or, and or as relatively quick as he did is 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 fairly impressive. Brian Hartline said something today along the lines of uh, just kind of revealing how frustrating the season was for Ibuka at times because he he didn't come back immediately as himself and we all saw it we we could tell that there just wasn't the same explosiveness there wasn't the same um vertical ability that he has um the same same jumping ability like it just he just didn't look like the same player when he first came back and this all makes more sense when you think about that there was a procedure done there in addition to the injury that he was going through so it's also something that I have kind of in the back of my mind that like, is this, where is he right now in all of that? And, and is it something at all that is going to play into the NFL decision that he still says he hasn't made a decision on that? He's, he's still could come back, could, could go to the draft uh, after this season. Uh, will it be a factor in that at all? Because again, as I was saying before, you just don't want to go in and not be able to, um, put your best foot forward, no pun intended in his case, to the to the pre-draft process. And again, it's an ankle injury, so that affects your 40 time, your agility, your ability to run routes potentially um, if, if you make it worse. So uh, that's why I think it's also then a big deal that even with that decision hanging out there, he is playing in this game. He's another guy who wasn't 100% at the end of the year, and he's setting that aside because of what it means to this team and potentially for him that he can play in this game. Andrew, you got to see Emeka Ibuka healthy, at least for the first half of the season. Obviously, you weren't here in 2022 when he was a 1,000-yard receiver and fully healthy for the full year and got to show what he could be. But for a guy who still has a decision that's up in the air, maybe he does. Maybe he's already made his decision and is just waiting till the 10th, like Denzel Burke is, in the way that Jack Sawyer kind of hinted at what he might already be doing. Who knows? But the point is, we don't know what his decision is. What can Emeka Ibuka show as a wide receiver one on this offense on Friday with a guy who the passing attack is probably going to go through him first. What can he show on Friday? Yeah. I mean, look at the game logs. I think when you, when you, you could see kind of where the problems were, right. You know, he played against Maryland on October 7th and he didn't play for a month. And you know, when Nathan texted this out, I went and I, I was like, tightrope surgery. That sounds familiar. And Brock Bowers had that this same year. So mm-hmm. for you know, that was kind of where you heard it from. And the Atlanta Journal Constitution wrote a story basically detailing what tightrope surgery is. Here are the specifics, and it's gross, so I don't want to repeat it. But the last line of that story was recovery from tightrope surgery takes on average six to eight weeks. These are not average people that we're talking about, but he came back in less than a month. So I think what you gotta prove, number one, is that you're healthy. Right. What you got to prove as a number one receiver is that you can handle this this load as a healthy number one receiver, as somebody that can handle just physically the demands of the game, because he played in four games. I mean, he only had uh, the one catch against Michigan State. And I know a lot of people kind of texted us and we were kind of watching it that game going. He just doesn't look right. Like he just does not look like Emeka Buka. So I think the number one thing you got to prove is this is you're healthy now. You know, the last game on against Michigan was on uh, November 25th. It is going to be December 29th when they play this game. So the the downtime is going to be really big for him in just kind of getting back to full strength. So that's number one, because if this is still lingering, 
then you got some problems because it's either is this going to last into spring practice? Is this going to last into winter workouts? Or is this going to last into your NFL combine? Maybe like there's a lot to worry about if he's not healthy. So number one, you got to go out there and just full speed look good. The second thing, though, is that you have got to prove that you're a number one receiver because there aren't many teams in the NFL that are going to draft somebody that they don't think can be at least a 1B receiver in the first round. And that's obviously where Emeka wants to get to, whether that's this year or next year. And I, I think for him, you have to be a safety valve for, for Devin Brown. You have to be that guy who, hey, you know, it's it's the it's the meme with Patrick Mahomes when he back when he had Tyreek Hill. It's just F it, Tyreek Hill down there somewhere. You got to be that kind of guy for Devin Brown in this game because this is a big game for Devin Brown. And Devin Brown's going to need somebody to rely on. And Emeka's got to be that guy. So you've got to get open. You've got to be constantly open. You've got to prove that you can do that. And I, I think that this is a really nice opportunity for him because there's there's a lot of inexperience kind of on this depth chart for Ohio State right now. You're going up against a good opponent, a top 10 opponent from the SEC. This is a really nice showcase for him, whether or not he wants to come back to Ohio State next year or whether he wants to to take his talents to the NFL. Who knows? But this is a chance for him to kind of prove that the season that he had was more of a factor of a bunch of different things that were out of his control. Namely, the best player in the country was on his team at his position and that he was hurt. Right. You know, he got hurt early in the year and, and, it, and it impacted him the whole year and it you know kind of affected him the whole year. You can just kind of wash all of this away if you have a really good game and, and maybe it doesn't even have to show it too much on the stats sheet. I'm not saying he has to go out there and get 250. But if you can prove that you are clearly the number one guy, that you are clearly healthy, I think you're going to go a long way to kind of proving what you can do at the next level, whether that's a year from now or whether that's a couple of weeks from now. Nathan, we've talked about this with Jackson Smith and Jigba last year when he was going through his draft process and how he basically used the draft process to prove, hey, I'm back to being who everybody thought I was before the injury, right? Especially with what he did at the combine and what he did at his pro day and, and whatever, 30 visits as well. And it made him wide receiver one in that 2023 NFL draft. Now, Mecca's is not going to be that because Marvin Harrison Jr. exists, so he's not going to be that. But can he start to use this cotton bowl as a hey i'm fully healthy like he's he's already kind of given us this is what i was dealing with all year and i'm finally through it can this game for him be a way for him to use it and say hey i'm back to who you thought i was a year ago when you looked at me as a surefire first round draft pick going into what you, everyone thought was going to be his last year at ohio state I, yeah i think so and i think the fact that he has all of last year to back it up, it wouldn't just be a one-off thing, right? It wouldn't just be an out of nowhere uh, explosion. It would be, no, this is a return to form. Like I couldn't be the receiver I was supposed to be for most of this season. Here's what it looks like. Um, so I think that is definitely on the table. And we talked about that uh, earlier this week on the pod, right? That, uh, or was it last week? You know, days just don't matter right now. <laughs> <laughs> they don't we talked about this the yesterday. last two weeks like, yeah, of the they years don't, yeah, don't matter what it's, day it is. Well, especially <laughs> when you start flying across the country and it's like you just wake up and you get on a you get bust over to a stadium and um uh, who knows where you're coming and going. But uh we were talking about this before, right? Like what kind of a game would it have to look like? And it you know, it, it sounds like from Brian Hartline's discussion today that they're expecting to play a lot of receivers in this game, that it isn't just gonna be 
uh, maybe three guys who are getting the bulk of snaps, but that could still mean that could still look like Emeka being on the field a lot. I don't know that when I was in there, if he was asked any questions about moving Emeka around that much, I think that's something that's definitely on the table too. And that's, so then it's, it becomes a thing where not only can I show you what I was supposed to be, I can show you something that I've never shown you before. I can show you what I look like when I'm uh, playing the X or the Z or, or whatever. So, there, there are definitely an opportunity on Friday for him to really have sort of an awakening and come out and and be a a a focal point and uh, and a guy that Devin Brown looks to a lot. Uh, but that could also uh, maybe that swings you either way because it maybe it says to you, oh, look what I could do if I come back and did that for a full season. I could be this for a full year. Then what does that do for me? It makes it right now. It's still precarious. Like how much is the NFL team going to be swayed by one game? You go back and do it for a full season next year, another year of physical development and growth and, and all those things. It, it, it only, I think, enhances your chances. I do think that's the one interesting. And from when listening to Brian Hartline, I don't think he got asked about that, but Emeka Buka has always been a guy that you know, they learn all the positions X slot and Z, but it's a whole different situation when it's a guy where it's one thing to learn it and do it on a Tuesday practice. It's another thing for them to feel comfortable with you doing it on a Saturday. He's always felt like a guy that they could genuinely move all over the place the way they did with Garrett Wilson, the way they were going to do what they did with Marvin Harrison Jr. Apparently everybody can't do that. And it does seem like he has that skill set. A couple other guys that did get mentioned. You mentioned it earlier, Nathan, how, Caged over. First of all, that's the most caged over quote I've ever heard in my life. I signed up for a full season, so I'm gonna play. That's the most caged over thing ever. But he also did admit he might not be out there for every snap. We do know that for most of the year, it's been caged over. It's clearly tied in one. And when they go in twelve personnel situations, it's been G Scott. But Jelani Thurman's name came up. I I'm hearing up while you guys were down there. Is there a chance that a guy who has been here since January. We understand what the upside is. We all saw what he looked like the first time we walked in there for practice. It was, whoa, that's not a normal looking dude. But it, is there a chance that these bowl practices, Jelani Thurman has maybe used those to vault himself up the, the totem pole a little bit? We might see him at some times on Friday. His name came up because I asked Kate Stover about him. I said, hey, well, there uh, we go. Is, is bowl season showing you anything else? Are you getting to like see him in different a different light. And he said, he's in more situations. You'll see a volume increase for him. I think you'll do a good job. And I think you'll see it start to really flourish on Friday night. And that's what I was hinting at before that a combination of Stover saying, well, maybe I won't be out there a lot with him also saying really sort of intimating that maybe they're mixing Thurman in more that maybe that we'll see him. I'm not like going to come out and tell you he's going to catch five balls or whatever. I do think, though, that we will maybe see him more on the field than we have early in, earlier in a game than maybe we did earlier this year. Because maybe there's a time where they want to play two uh, tight ends and they don't want Cade Stover in the game because they're limiting his snaps, his workload. So they go with 12 with Scott and Thurman. And we get to see what that looks like. Uh, I think it's they want to win this game. And it's important, I think, that they win this game. I don't think it's it's nothing that they that this game doesn't matter. But Thurman is very high on the list of guys that I think we would like to just see what it looks like when he goes against a first-team defense, even if it's just for a series, even if it's just a, a, a glimpse, a flash of it, because physically it just looks like it would be so much fun. And it looks like he's ready physically. Now it's just a matter of is he ready skill-wise, is he ready uh, in, in other facets, the, the, the things, the fundamentals you have to have to play that position, and it's a tough adjustment. So 
I'm I'm ready for it. It's something I've got my eye out for on Sunday. Uh, now he is definitely third on the list of at best of the tight ends that they trust in this game. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. You know, Patrick Gerd is still in the mix, and if it, Ryan Day in a game that he wants to win, I could see him playing a little little bit more conservative. If they don't think Thurman is ready, they're not just going to do it as a grand experiment. But just from the way Stover was talking, it definitely has me intrigued that there may be a a some way that they've already started trying to mix him in, whether it's a, a package. He looks like he'd be a lot of fun on the goal line, right? Like just that size, if, if he's got the hands for it, like that, that that could be a really fun thing to watch. So we'll see. It's just something I've got my eye on. That's why I asked him about it. And he seemed to confirm that there's a potential of something happening there Friday. We've been down that road before too. Like, oh, this dude might be a really good goal line threat. And then no, he's just a threat for a hundred yards of the field because he's that awesome. Andrew, th- I think this is an interesting conversation because we brought up Carnell Tate yesterday and obviously Brian Hartline got asked about Carnell Tate today. And he, he was talking about how he got, kind of got dinged up in fall camp earlier on. So it maybe set him back. Maybe he'd be a little bit further along, but he pushed basically from day one for, for, you know, meaningful snaps. We talked, we've heard about Brandon Ennis and some of the stuff he has been doing. Jelani Thurman, you're throwing him into that mix here, but they're also trying to win this football game. So it's almost like you're trying to balance. There are young guys who are probably coming along who have used this last 30 days to put themselves in positions to play meaningful snaps here. But also you've got a lot of returning guys here who probably those are the guys who were helping you win games here. Are you maybe interested in that? How they balance that? Okay, Kate Silver has been our guy, but Jelani Thurman is pushing for time. Ameka Abuka, Jaden Ballard, some of these older guys have been helping out along the way, but Cardinal Tate and Brandon Ennis seem to be pushing now. I'm obviously interested, but I think that there's a kind of more more nuance to this. Nathan texted this out today. You know, the I signed up for a full year, so I'm going to play a full year. But the back half of that quote was, will I play every snap? I doubt it. So I think that there are certain situations like with Cade Stover where you can kind of conveniently look at a load management type thing and say, you know what? We don't need to play this guy every single offensive snap. And that just kind of gives you the convenience of let's get some new guys in. And you already lost Julian Fleming to the portal. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably not going to play, almost certainly not going to play. And then you're sitting there with uh, uh, Emeka Buka and then Carnell Tate and then Brandon Ennis and then Rob, one of the Rogers. Like you've got some convenient outs for you there. So I think that it's, I don't even know if it's, I'm fascinated by that specifically. I'm just fascinated to see how some of these guys play because I think some of these situations are going to be organic, right? Like we've, we've already seen kind of how we've already seen how bowl games can, can evolve into just exhibitions where, I mean, some of these programs like Florida state has a bunch of people out and all these other programs have a bunch out, a bunch of people out. Ohio state doesn't. And even though they don't, there are a few unique opportunities here that I think are going to present themselves in kind of a silver lining type of way. Where, yeah, would Ohio State fans love to see Cade Stover play a full game and have a great game and have, you know, I'm sure Cade Stover wants to do the same thing. But it also kind of gives you the convenience of saying, you know what, let's let's see what Thurman's got. Like, let, let's throw him in there for, for two series in the second quarter. Like, or even in the first quarter. Let's, let's throw the ball to Carnell Tate four times on one drive and let's see how he handles that. So there are situations where I think you could say that. 
But then you actually kind of map it out and see, you know, they might actually have had to do this no matter what, right? Like whether like whether or not guys opted out, opted in, it didn't matter. They were probably going to have to do this just because of some injury stuff, because of some transfer portal stuff. There's a lot going on here. So I, I think it's that, but it's it's not even just let's see how they look. It's can these guys win a game, right? It's can these guys win a game that matters and can these guys step up into a game that Missouri is going to take very, very seriously, obviously. And can these guys step up into a game where they're playing an SEC team, a different style of opponent? I mean, they when was what was they they played Michigan this year. And then outside of that, they haven't really played a great offense outside of the Michigan game. There's just there's a lot going on here. And, and I'm curious to see how these guys handle big time moments like that. So it's it's more than just, I think, you know, how do you think these guys are going to play? Nathan, just because you've been down there, I mean, you're listening to what some of these guys are saying. With this wide receiver room, obviously you're missing two of your three starters. One's in the transfer portal and one's looking all sad on the sideline because he can't practice because, you know, he's not going to be potentially not playing on Friday. It's just been really funny seeing pictures of Marvin Harrison Jr. on the internet because he looks so miserable that he can't do anything out there every time you see him. It's like, I know this is what's what's best for my future, but I want to play football, dude. This is not fun. But he's not playing. Julian Fleming doesn't go to school here anymore. And Xavier Johnson might be splitting time between being a wide receiver and a running back just because of the running back depth. We know Emeka Abuka is going to play. He's a clear starter. We know Carnell Tate's going to be a clear starter. I'm not going to ask you to tell me who you think the third starter might be because you guys just, you just didn't see 11 on 11 to be able to give an educated answer there. But there's a lot of guys who could be just in the mix of getting on the field on Saturday. If you had to put a number on guys you just think might play a meaningful snap on Friday from that wide receiver room, what would it be? Uh, well, I guess let's talk it through. I mean, Abuka Johnson, uh, yep. Tate, yep, Ballard would probably mm-hmm. be fourth, mm-hmm. and I think Brandon Ennis. You know, mm-hmm. it's they don't talk about Brandon Ennis yet in terms of game readiness the way they talk about Carnell Tate, but they shouldn't. Brandon yeah. Ennis didn't get here as early as Carnell Tate did. And that's just the way that's just the way it goes. I think he's going to be a pretty great player uh, very quickly. I just don't know if it's going to happen as early as Friday night. I think he might be, as we're saying, a little bit farther back on this list. But there were some other guys that whose names have gotten dropped around this week: uh, Noah Rogers, Brandon Ro- or uh, uh, Bryson Rogers. Um, no relation. Um, both other true freshman guys who I think have gotten a little bit overshadowed because those other two guys were just flashier guys, higher ranked guys, all that stuff. And you got the Jeremiah Smith coming in behind, but those guys were legitimately big prospect, like the kind of prospects that like 13 other big 10 programs are salivating over and uh, have no chance of getting. And Ohio state's just got them. Like they're almost like the afterthoughts in this class, but Brian Hartline has been sensitive to that. And he's wanted to make sure those guys get recognized too. And he, in particular through Bryson Rogers' name out today as someone who has been coming along and, and doing some good things in practice. So I, there's any number of guys that they could go to in that room. And um, now some of those second-year guys, uh, Kojo Antwi and Keon Grays, I think they've been working more as like scout team guys, it looks like, mm-hmm. maybe in practice this week. And uh, something to be said for that because they're playing – as good a group of receivers as they've played all year. So you want to have some good guys on the other side to replicate that. And again, that's the advantage of having such a deep receiver room the way the Ohio State does. But um, 
that tells you a little bit about just how how talented this group is and what it means to be a true freshman who's maybe cracking through, even with the guys who have left, even with taking those two guys off the top, um, you still have to really be bringing it at this point to, to be ready to go. And with, with Tate, you know, Heartline today was describing it as being like really right in line with the progression that you saw by the end of the freshman year from, he wasn't really talking about, uh, Marvin or, or Jackson more recently. He was going back a little farther than that to Car- uh, to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And then those guys who, you know, Wilson, Tate has played more snaps as a true freshman than any receiver, I think, since Garrett Wilson, mm-hmm. who played actually a lot more because mm-hmm. the, room, the room dynamic was so different then. Like you had, you know, Austin Mack and Ben Victor, like pretty good receivers at, at the top. And then you could, it was more when you showed up as a great true freshman who was destined for the things he was destined for, it was easier to get on the field. It's much harder to get on the field. Now you just like the, like they've leveled up here. They've, they've we've ratcheted this thing up another level. So to, to play even as much as Carnell Tate did, I think says a lot. And I think the bridge between the end of the regular season and bowl prep has set him up to potentially have a, a pretty good game on Friday night and, and be sort of his stepping stone into next year where he, takes on a very prominent role. But I could see that we, you know, that the Hostate could go, what what I name now, like five or six guys deep, maybe at least at receiver. Mm-hmm. And because I think the way it sets up right now, they won't necessarily need Xavier Johnson a lot in the backfield as like a as a running back. The way they had to use him sometimes last year, even in the Georgia game, right? Like I right now with Trevion and uh Dallin Hayden both, if they're both healthy, they can take care of a lot of the running back uh, snaps. And Xavier Johnson can maybe be a guy who they use. They run the ball with him out of motion and, and from the slot and everything. But I think he'll be more of a receiver unless something goes awry. So that allows them to to cycle in some other receivers. But but uh, I still think that they want to win this game. So again, I don't think you're they're not going to start this game and say like, well, forget the seniors. Let's just go Tate Ennis and. Noah Rogers across, like that's not going to happen. It's going to be, uh, the, you're going to see this offense come out as standard as it can look, I think, except just because you've taken Fleming and we think Harrison out of that room, out of the mix, um, that's just going to, somebody has to step up. Somebody has to be the next guy. And uh, Tate and then probably Ballard and Ennis right after that are the ones you're going to see the most. I, I've said this before in the past of there are probably, three or four guys who have come through this room over the past two or three seasons here who, if you put them in that 2019 room, they would have played as much or maybe more as Garrett Wilson did as a true freshman when they were coming in as a true freshman. But I don't know how many of the years you'd have had a room where true freshman Garrett Wilson would have been able to play right away just because, to your point, the room has leveled up so much. Let's take one last break here and then QB1 talk. And we have to talk about what he had to say. And so we'll get into what Devin Brown had to say and what is the last time he's going to speak at least to us, until the game on Friday night. And we'll get into more of that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Devin Brown spoke on Wednesday afternoon as Ohio State prepares to play Missouri in the Cotton Bowl on December 29th, which will officially be his first start as Ohio State's quarterback, the second-year guy going into his third year in the spring. Nathan, he's a different personality than Kyle McCord, and we've talked about that at length over the last couple of weeks here, really going back to the summertime, we've been talking about that, but how is he handling this 
right? Because his first start is going to be against a top 10 opponent in a bowl game with no real you know, lead up, no games to, to lead up to that the way you've often seen in the past where you get a couple games to lead up to a top 10 opponent when you're a first-time starting quarterback. How does he seem to be handling this? Whether it was when we were talking with him here at the Woody a couple of weeks ago, but then now he's in it down there, down there in Dallas. He's in it now. It's about two days away now. How does he seem to be handling this moment? It's one of those chicken before the egg things. It's like, does his personality help him handle these situations well? Or because he's been through situations like this, now, so many times, does that help him handle these situations? And does that affect the personality? Does that give him the personality he has? Because I've been having some conversations with people around him the past week or so, and was hearing some stories about, you know, when he was in, I think, seventh grade, his dad was his youth coach and benched him. They were playing uh, some other uh, big team in Arizona, and he thought he had a bad game and just, just put him on the bench and... Uh, uh, Brown got all ticked off about it and came back a few weeks later and they they lit that team up and, and won a state championship. And, uh, you know, people may not know, but th- when he transferred from his school in Arizona, uh, Queen Creek, to Corner Canyon in Utah as a senior, not only did Corner Canyon have uh, a guy already in place named Isaac Wilson, who a name you don't know yet, but you've heard of his brother, Zach Wilson, uh, who's now an NFL quarterback, and was a star at BYU, uh, he had to beat him out. And they had two other guys, a guy from, I think, Nevada, and maybe a guy from either California or another one from Arizona, who had transferred into Corner Canyon to try to get that starting quarterback job. And he came in like fourth on the depth chart to start that year and had to work his way up from the end of the spring to when the season started. And it wasn't; it was late in the process that he even won that job as a senior in, in high school. And where would he be today? Like if, if you don't, if he doesn't do that, um, who knows where he ends up? Like he, he may not be a power five quarterback if he doesn't do that. So um, it's shown that this is not new to him. And when you ask him, you know, I even asked today uh, because there's still rumors out there about how much Ohio state might be looking at transfer quarterbacks. And, you know, what is Ryan day told him about what this room's going to look like in the spring and how much does, does he feel like Friday's game um, can influence that? And I think that is the vibe right now is that he said, you know, he has the ball. He has the opportunity here to go out and make it make Ohio State not want to look at other quarterbacks, right? He's got an opportunity here to go out and, and reassure them that they have the quarterback that they need for 2024, or at least a quarterback that provides them the level of production they need for 2024. And then 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 have the other then have the competition with the guys who are already here, right? Then see what Lincoln Keynotes looks in the spring. Then see what Link or uh, Aaron Ola looks like when he shows up. But there's a there is a sort of confidence to him that is, I think, not even a confidence in. I think it's more just a confidence in him as a person. I think he's assured of who he is as a person, and he loves football and wants to win and be great at football and 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 appreciates his role leading a team. But I don't think he is. Uh, he he rides the waves of the ups and downs of that as much. So that that is a good mindset. I think they've recognized that mindset in him from the beginning. And now it's just a matter of having the, the actual football play catch up with that. Andrew, can Friday be a tone-setting night for Devin Brown for how this, which will be his second quarterback battle and as many off seasons for for Devin Brown. Can this be a tone setting game for him? 
I think so. I think a tone setting game is probably the way to say that. I don't want to say anything more of he can prove that he's the guy for the 2024 season just because I think it would be probably fools. It would be a fool's errand to decide your 2024 quarterback room on a bowl game against Missouri and the Cotton Bowl. I, I, I don't think that that's the way to do this. But I do think you can you can set yourself up with some good feelings because think about where we were just a, like a week ago when we were doing signing day stuff. We were like, my God, does this program need a win? Like, my God, does like they they lost to Michigan? Um, obviously, their their season goes down the tubes at that point. It felt like the recruiting class was just kind of hanging on, and they were faltering down the stretch. And it just felt like everything was going wrong. And I think that this for for Devin Brown would make him feel a lot more confident and him feel a lot better about what's going on. And I think it would make Ohio State feel a lot better about what's going on. Like I said, I don't think you should be making any grand proclamations about this game. You know, if Devin Brown goes out there and 30 of 37 and 350 and four touchdowns, like I'm not going to sit here and say that Devin Brown is the next coming. Like you can't just sit there and say that, that's the guy because of one game. I think you need to make a decision kind of looking at the overall body of work. But in terms of setting a tone, if this is going to be the quarterback room, like if this is what Ohio State had decided, absolutely. Like absolutely this can set a positive momentum going forward into the offseason because then you can say, you know what, Devin Brown played really well. We beat a team that was really good. You know, they gave Georgia some trouble earlier in the year. They probably should have beaten LSU and they probably only should have had like one loss. Like that's a good football team that we would have beat. I, I just think that a good game from Devin Brown would really set things back in a positive direction for Ohio State, for him, for the program, for Ryan Day. Like I, I think it would do a lot for a lot of different things. So yeah, this is this is a big game for him. I, I think this is um I think this is really important what he does on Friday. I think if that dude goes thirty for thirty seven with three hundred plus yards and a couple of touchdowns, whether it's fair or not, there are gonna be people in our text subscribers, six one four, three five oh, three three one five going, Why wasn't this guy the starter earlier? That that's just what's going to happen because that's efficient. That's like CJ Stroud level efficient. If that happens, this will wrap up this pod though. We'll, we'll, the next pod is going to be the game preview pod. It's it's a shortened schedule this week because they're playing a game on Friday, and high school teams play on Friday, so we're not used to that. Which is why in the earlier pods this week you were hearing Nathan make the mistake of saying Saturday because we're used to watching games on Saturdays and not Friday. So shortened thing. The Friday pod will be. The game preview pod, which will lead you into the night game. So that's going to have a short shelf life. And then right after that game, we'll have the post game pod. But get the text 614-350-3315. Ryan Day, the two head coaches will speak on Thursday afternoon and then we'll pod right after that. And then we'll get the game preview pod as quickly as possible to give it the longest shelf life it can possibly have. But Ohio State playing Missouri on Friday in the Cotton Bowl, December 29th to close out its season. For Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means. And that's. Let's put guys off.